Raise your hand if you think sometimes your eyes can deceive you. Yeah, sometimes things aren't as they seem. It's not what we think. I was looking online again at some pictures that uh, kind of make you look twice. Here's, here's my favorite picture from this past week. Yeah. yeah she's, so the guy married this centaur, this Greek mythological uh, woman. She's nine feet tall with horse legs. Now she's just on the horse and you can see it. I don't need to explain it. But when you first look at it, you're like, whoa, she's big. She's not. She's on a horse. And, uh, and, and, and what we're talking, the reason I show you these pictures is that we're, we're talking about a portion of Scripture where Jesus is actually addressing this large crowd. We know it in, you know, in, here in Matthew's chapter 5, chapters 5, 6, and 7 as the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and, and he's, he's basically addressing some, some um, wrong ideas that the nation of Israel, the Jewish religion, has had about God. I know you've got God pegged perfectly. You don't have any wrong ideas about him. Uh, is everybody picking up my sarcasm? I, I hope so. Uh, l- there's lots of ways that we can kind of miss who God is, what he wants for us, and certainly here in the nation of Israel that's been taking place because uh, he basically bridges out of uh, a, a conversation that he's had about the blessed life. If you were here a few months ago, we started talking about that, but he bridges from those blessings into this um, assurance as he shares with the crowd, hey, listen, I didn't come to completely erase everything that you've always known about God from the Jewish faith. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets is how he puts it. He says, I came to fulfill them. And what he meant was, is I'm gonna keep all the laws perfectly, and he did, all right? But then I want you to also understand that when he says fulfill, is that he's saying, I wanna clarify what God meant when he gave you these laws, because here's what was happening in the Jewish culture. These guys, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were like these you know, muckety-mucks, these high-ups in the Jewish faith, and they had basically uh, taken the laws and certainly in some ways had, had kept the laws, but they had made themselves feel pretty you know, uh, self-justified by doing the things that they had said uh, were needing to be done. And, and they had basically lorded, over it, lorded it over all of the other Jews. And so all the other Jews looked at these Pharisees and these scribes, these holiest of the men uh, in, their, in their religion and said, we want to be like them. But Jesus says to these who are listening to him this day, Hey, I tell you, verse 20, Matthew chapter 5, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Everybody there must have been like, what are you talking about? This is not what we've thought. And so he goes on, and we rock, we're walking through his six examples of the ways that the scribes and the Pharisees, and therefore pretty much all of the Jewish religion, have settled for this understanding of what God wants without realizing that God wants so much more. These Jews were just like us Americans. Uh, Here's what I mean when I say that. Uh, We're we're prone in life because of our nature to do just enough. Anybody else with me on that? Yeah, I'll just, I, I know what the requirements are and I'm gonna meet the very exact letter of that law. Does anybody here pay more taxes than you're supposed to? Anybody here doing that? Oh, here you go, American government. You know, I know I'm supposed to pay this one, but I'm just feeling really generous. Here's more. No, we're we're conditioned to do just enough, to, to, to work just enough, to provide just enough. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That's not how it works in this life that we have with God. I was a an eighth grader, a middle school track athlete. I was not fast. So I stuck with the field events. I would throw 
the discus and the shot put, and I, I could actually get off the, the ground a little bit, and so I did the, the high jump. Has anybody ever competed in the high jump? Just me? All right. The first time I went to track practice and we tried the high jump, they, they set the bar to right about here. We kind of laughed at that. You can basically fall over this bar. Is everybody with me? It wasn't until we started raising the bar that things actually took effort. Now, I, just, I bring this up because the, the Jews, and specifically the Pharisees and the scribes, had taken the bar that God intended for us in righteousness, and they had just basically kind of gently just set it down here. So that's essentially what I have to do to appease God and achieve my own righteousness, is just kind of step over the things uh, of the just enough life. But Jesus is coming into the scene. He's like, no, 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 the bar's not down here. The bar's way up here. Does anybody know what the world record is for the high jump? I do. It's eight feet and one quarter inches, all right? Javier Sotomayor from Cuba jumped that in 1993. No one's been higher since. So eight feet, I don't know, somewhere like this. But if I had had time, uh, I would have strung some stringers from the ceiling and, and put this at about 20 feet, okay? So can everybody picture this about 20 feet? And then I would have had everybody up here say, okay, if you want to go to heaven, here's what you got to do. You got to stand still, no running start, and you got to jump over the 20-foot bar. And if you can get over the 20-foot bar, you can go to heaven. Who's in? Who's thinking heaven's going to be full? Anybody thinking heaven's going to be full? No, it's going to be empty. Why? I'll tell you why. The law was never given to us to justify us. This is one of the mistakes that the Pharisees and the scribes have made. They said, oh, God gave us these rules so that if we keep them, he'll accept us into his kingdom. It's not why God gave the law. He gave the law to reveal his character, certainly to point us in the direction of the, of the life that we're meant to live with him and for him. But the law was given to us to show us that we in and of ourselves could never attain the righteousness that God requires of us. That's why we need him. The law and the prophets were always pointing the people of Israel back to God and saying, you've got to rely on him, you've got to follow him. That's why when, when the, you know, the Israelites at different times in their history you know, came to their leaders and say, should we do this fast or should we do this sacrifice? Those leaders would always say, God's not interested in your fasting and your sacrifices. He wants your hearts. The whole system is meant to point you to your need. Anybody remember needing to climb like a, 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 a wall or, or get up on a roof or something? I don't know why you need to do that unless you're a thief. But, but uh, anybody remember needing to get up on something high and you turn to your friend who was with you and say, give me 10 fingers. Anybody remember what that means? Some of you don't because you don't steal things. Anyway, uh, to give 10 fingers is basically take your feet like this and you just, you know, like if TJ was up here, he'd, he'd put his foot in my hand and I'd just kind of throw him up as high as I could and, and it would give him the, the extra boost that he needed. That 20-foot bar of God's righteousness is something that none of us in here will ever come close to attaining. But isn't it great news that God loves us so much that he gives us the 10 fingers of his son Jesus? That he allows us by his spirit to actually honor him and become more like him and, and keep the laws as, as he intended them to be kept. Jesus is going to start uh, these six illustrations of what he means when he says, 
your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. It's going to start it almost always with, you have heard it said, and give a very well-known rule, most of them coming from the, the, the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. He says, you guys know the Ten Commandments. Here's what it says. And then he's going to say this. He's going to say, but I say to you, I, I know the bar's been down here for you, but, but let me put it back up where it's supposed to be. I say to you, this is what it's really about. And when he does that, he's going to basically, hopefully, jar all of us into a greater dependence on his ten fingers to do not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law as he intended it, for us to live by the principles of his character and honor him as we do. Last week we talked about, this is how he starts, he says, you shall not commit murder. Everybody still agree with me? It's not good to kill people? I hope there'd be more hands on that one. All right. uh, Yeah, we shouldn't kill people, okay? Just a general, you know, societal norm. Uh, but he said this, but I say to you, if you in anger call someone a fool, if you get angry with someone, if you get angry and stay angry at someone, it's as if you've actually killed in that relationship. Even though you never laid hands and never physically ended a life, there's death in that relationship because anger brings death. That's why he says, so if you're in the temple and you're about to give a, 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 a sacrifice, you know, and you're going to honor me with your worship, push pause. Put a pin in that and go talk to whoever you're angry with and get right with him because anger and sin inside of you emotionally, if it's happening, it's going to keep you from worshiping me with a full heart. I want your full hearts. Go take care of your anger. Hopefully some of you had the chance to do that last week because everybody in here, this, this, this is true. Can I just say this? I didn't say this at the, at the previous service. Jesus just goes right to the root of every human being with these little examples. Like, like he, everybody gets angry. Anybody get angry? Who gets angry in here? Everybody get angry? Okay, so that, last week every, everybody got something, right? Everybody in here is going to be given over to the, the wrong use of their senses. It's called sensuality. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Last week he says, let me deal with your emotions. This week he's going to say, let's deal with your appetites. Anybody in here ever hungered and thirsted for something other than righteousness? Anybody ever wanted revenge? Okay. People are raising their hands now. Thanks for playing, guys. Anybody ever uh, uh, desired something that wasn't yours or someone that wasn't yours? Jesus is going to talk about that today. And here's my hope for all of us as we kind of get into this next illustration of what he means by having a righteousness greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. Here's what I hope he he does. I hope he just pokes at us all morning. I hope you just feel the poke of the spirit in your heart the whole time that I'm talking because I know that I know that I know that all of us have uh, misappropriated our appetites. We've looked for things that aren't God, that aren't what he desires for us to fulfill us. And he says, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. We're not having inside unseeable sins govern how we live in life. You'll see what I mean as we get going. Everybody ready to get poked? Here we go. In verse 27 of Matthew 5, he continues and he says, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. Last week, uh, he talked about uh, command number six in the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. He goes to number seven. He's moving kind of in sequence here. He says, all right, 
Let's talk about, you know, uh, sexual relationships. Let's talk about, you know, marital relationships. Uh, if, if you haven't heard me preach this before, God created relationships like these to exist in monogamous covenant marriage. We are not meant to have sex outside of a committed marital relationship with anybody that isn't our wife or husband. That covenantal heterosexual marriage. That's the fireplace. Build the fire in the fireplace, not in the kitchen. Just a, a little homeowner tip there for you, okay? There's a right place to build a fire in your house, and it's not in your bathroom. It's in the fireplace. It's where God designed the fire to burn. And so, you know, th th I've told you that for 17 years. This is where it's supposed to happen. And this, this commandment is tied to that understanding, that principle of how we handle ourselves in sexual relationship, physical relationship, marital relationship, okay? You will not commit adultery. Now, once again, the Pharisees, historically, if you read through you know, the accounts, had basically kept this law. And they felt very strongly that they were righteous because I'm not messing with someone else's husband or wife. If, if the Pharisees were mostly men, all men. And so it would be wives in this case. But they, you know, if the commandment was put on wives and husbands, I'm not with somebody else's wife or husband. Did it. You know, stepping over the bar, as it were. But as long as they kept that rule... There was a mentality, an idea that, you know, we can do whatever else we want sexually, whether it's in our thoughts or in our deeds, as long as we don't break the commandment to not commit adultery. Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. So Jesus is going to blow that up. Maybe you've heard this one before, but here it comes. Verse 28, he says, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman in our culture today, if you're a woman and you look at a man with lustful intent, this is really interesting. It's the Greek aorist tense. It's like the past tense, already done. If you looked at a person with lustful intent, now let me just clarify this real quick. A look, not sinful. A leer, <laughs> a lust. Now you're moving across the line. So you can't help but look at people. If you've got eyeballs, it's going to happen. But it's what's, what you do with that sight, what you create with your imagination. If you look at another person with lust in your heart, you have, what's it say? You have already committed adultery. This was so jarring because people thought, uh, you know, in their minds and in their hearts, they couldn't really sin. It was just kind of the, the beginnings of what might become the actual sin of adultery. It's just kind of step one in the process that might, you know, get, you know, cut off here before it actually becomes real. But, but it certainly isn't wrong to have those thoughts as long as I don't commit those actions. But Jesus says, da 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 if you think it, it's as if you did it. Oh, everybody duck. Is anybody grateful that our thoughts aren't on display in like a screen that hangs over our heads? Has anybody been in that? Yeah, I know you are. Has anybody ever been in that situation that you're like, if people could see what's going on in my mind right now, this would end relationships. I, I might get punched by someone, right? Is it, I mean, and so that's why there isn't a screen over your head. I've prayed to God that he would actually, you know, in his divine will, just create that. It would do away with a lot of the mess that goes on between our temples if it were there. Because there's stuff that you think that you would never think 
if you thought for a moment that other people could see it. But here's where our little funkiness comes in. We think that if no one else sees it, it's not real. Isn't that like kind of behind a lot of our sins? If no one finds out, it's not wrong. But lean in. Here we go. Lean in. Come on. Everybody gets that God sees it all, right? Like you can hide it from me. And you do. You'll sit here when I preach some things. Shoot, I'll stand here and I'll preach those things. And we'll both have each other fooled. There's Pastor Mark. He's super righteous. What a righteous dude. (laughs) No. All kinds of sin popping around in this head and in this heart. And you can sit there and amen me left and right. And five minutes later, be committing adultery in your own minds. While you're listening to the word of God be preached, how funky is that? But that's us. And Jesus says, hey, man, just because I can't see it physically, don't think that I can't see it. Don't think that my father can't see it. We see it. And it's just as bad as if it actually happened. Here's what happens a lot of times, is we'll, we'll have the big commands, like as long as I don't break this big rule, the other rules don't matter. And what was really going on in the hearts of these men and women who were basically not committing adultery, but maybe committing adultery in their hearts, is they were, they were violating one of the other Ten Commandments. The 10th commandment is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, and it says this, you shall not, and the word is, say it with me, covet, Okay. Covet is wanting someone or something that someone else has. It, it's tied to things like envy and greed and certainly lust. But the 10th commandment says you shall not covet your neighbor's stuff, his house, or the things that he owns. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife moving into the physical or the sexual realm. You shall not covet covet his male servant or his female servant, those that he has working for him, the ability that he has to pay for those servants. You won't covet his animals or his livestock, his truck or his tractor or his boat. You won't covet covet any of those things that your neighbor has. Why? Because God should be enough. Wasn't that the message in the garden? Hey, there's two trees. There's this one tree that is the tree that I want you to live by, and there's this other tree that I forbid you to eat from. And you have everything else in creation except this one tree. There's one tree. And the snake comes in and Adam and Eve are like, well, I got all this stuff, but I want that. I want what I don't have. I was studying 1 John uh, with my life group this past week and uh, I basically read these verses in 1 John chapter 2. It says, uh, Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not him. He's basically just making a statement about sin. Can we all agree in the moments that we're sinning, we are not loving God? We have turned our hearts and our minds away from him. We are choosing to pursue other things, the other tree. And and so the love of God is not in us in those moments that we're loving something else. He goes on and he says this, familiar words to me from the years that I've grown up in the church. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. 
So he says three things there, desires of the flesh, other translations, lusts of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are all the things that are in the world that keep you from the love of God, which you're meant to live in, right? Now, you might think those are three things. They're really just two things. He's, he's talking about this you know, greater heading, which is the lust or the desire of the flesh. That's us wanting something other than God. And he, he clarifies those two things with the, the lust or the desire of our eyes and the pride of our lives. Let me cover the pride of our lives. You know what the pride of your life and my life is? Whatever I have. What I've, whatever God has blessed me with that I think I'm somehow you know, truly responsible for. Look what I've done. Look at all that I've accrued. You know, it, it's like the, the guy in the parable that Jesus told. He's, he's, he's standing out, looking out over his, his riches. He's got barns full of wheat for days to come, and he's like, look at, what I, look at me. Anybody remember what happened to that guy? Yeah, that night his life is taken from him. And the, and the point is Jesus saying this, you don't have anything. You can't control whether you live or die. You can't control what you really have. All those things are gifts from me. And yet you, you, uh, uh, you know, assign the credit to yourself. That's the pride of life. Me thinking that I have done, that I have accomplished or accrued, and that therefore God is not necessary. You talk to any atheist, agnostic, that's kind of at the root of it. I don't need them. They'll have arguments about why they don't believe in him, but at the root of their disbelief is I don't need God. I am enough. Pride of life. The other thing that's the insidious side of our flesh is the lust of our eyes. And this is getting into coveting, right? Pride of life, everything I have, lust of the eyes or desire of the eyes, everything that I don't yet have. If I could just have this, I'll be fulfilled. If I could just have this, I'll have enough. If I could just have, if I could just have. So whether that's another person who's not my partner in marriage, whether that's more money so I can get more things, whether that's you know, a, a better this, a better that, a better job, a better blah, 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 blah. If I just could have, then I'd be content, I'd be fulfilled. And why is that such a sin? Because it takes you away from what you do have in the God who made you. It takes you away from your content. Bottom line, if I can go back to the little thing I skipped there, is this. Any and every form of sensual sin is serious and must be dealt with. Whether it's sexual nature, because here's the deal. Anytime you preach this message, some of you are like, I don't struggle with that, Mark. I don't, I don't struggle with you know, sexual sin or wanting to go outside of the boundaries of things. And, and, and you, you know, that may be true of some of us in here. I'm guessing it's probably not as true as some of us think. Because otherwise, statistics like every uh, you know, uh, one in three uh, internet search is pornographic. Uh, you know, the, the, the same, uh, uh, you know, kind of levels of porn addiction are, are growing uh, in, in men and women. The thing, you know, I mean, you're, you're probably saying it's not as bad as it could be when you say I don't struggle with sexual sin, but everybody struggles with sin of all kinds, sexual and others. But here's the deal. Can I just bring this out? When I say sensual sin, here, here's, here's what I'm referring to. We have been given these senses. I think there's five of them, right? Like sight and smell and, and taste and... Uh, touch. What's the other one? Oh, hearing. Thank you. 
And all of these things are super awesome. And they can, they could, you know, be tapped into the things that God has given to us for our good. And, and, and we, as we experience those things, can, can know who God is and give him the glory that he so deserves. I mean, I was sitting with Eleanor the other day in our backyard, and I'm not a big nature guy. She is huge into it. She could just sit out there all day. But it was finally not so hot that I would just swamp out in the first five minutes that I'm, anybody been there? I don't like sitting outside if I'm just going to sweat. This is dumb. But it was, we were in the shade yesterday afternoon, and it wasn't too hot, and, and I sat there long enough with her because I love her, not so much nature, but I love her, and so I'm hanging out, and then, but it just kind of happened. After 10 minutes, I started noticing things that I never noticed when I'm sitting in my backyard. I heard the birds, mostly the sandhill cranes, which are just annoying. Can we all agree that those suckers just need to turn it down a little bit? What's the, it's just horrible. But then when those guys finally got done, I could hear the birds that were above my head all the time singing back and forth to each other. My wife is into that stuff. She says, listen, this one's going to talk to this one. And sure enough, and then all of a sudden, and I'm like, oh, never even noticed that. And the breeze is just kind of blowing, and the smell of the lake is kind of, you know, and it's, it's fragrant. And, and, and it started making me think, yeah, our senses are awesome. We get to walk into our favorite restaurants and smell fajitas. Come on. A little piece of heaven right there. And then you order them and they bring them out to you and you get to taste fajitas. Come on. And you got to put them in your belly and it's so good, right? And you get to get in the car and you get to listen to your favorite songs, the hits of the 70s. It's my wife's thing right now, right? Yeah. And you get to look at all this incredible creation and just, it's good, right? Our senses are good when we're doing that. But guess what we do with our senses? The word we use in our language is we get all sensual with them. It's a pejorative term. It's negative. We let our senses override our senses. Did you see what I did there? We let all of our appetites and our desire to fulfill our senses override our thinking. And all of a sudden we're given into these unhealthy, damaging, death-producing appetites for more and what we don't have. And it just starts ruining lives. Everybody gets that, right? If you look at your spouse or your family or your job, and all you're focused in on is what it's not, what you don't have, you're going to hate your wife, your husband, your family, your job. Because you're not looking at what it is, you're looking at what it isn't. And so it is that anything that's sensual, pulls us away from God's best. Any and every form of sensual sin is serious. It's just as bad as actually doing something. A little bit later in, in uh, Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6 of Matthew, he's going to talk about our eyes specifically. Because he's saying here in this command, if you look with your eyes on someone and lust after that person uh, in an adulterous way, it's like you've already committed actual adultery. He's going to say, listen, our eyes are powerful. He refers to them here in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6 as the lamp of our body. What he's really saying there is it's not like these are two flashlights. You know, you just kind of, but they're basically this, this source of light for the inside of our body. It's, if we use our eyes for good is what he's saying. So if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If we use our eyes to bring the good stuff in, to bring the light in, then everything in us is flooded with that light, the goodness of God, the goodness of what he's created. And, and that's what flows out of us. But he says inversely, if your eyes are bad, so if you use your eyes to look at the wrong things, to, 
to, to you know, uh, satisfy the wrong appetites. If your eyes are bad, then your whole body will be full of what? Darkness. And then he makes this profound comparison. He says, listen, if the light in you is dark, well, how great's that dark? That's a dark dark. He says later in Paul's writing, as the Holy Spirit inspired him to talk to the Ephesians, he says, listen, man, uh, let there be no filthiness in Ephesians chapter 5. Or excuse me, I skipped the first verse. Let no sexual immorality or all impurity or covetousness, they must not even be named among you. In other translations, there shouldn't even be a hint, a little dab, a smidge. He says that's not proper among those who call themselves saints, who follow after Jesus. He says let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking. Don't use your ears or your words to, to push people or push yourself away from God's best. He says, those things are out of place. Instead, use your mouths for thanksgiving. Fill your ears with thankfulness and the praise of God. And it says, uh, finally in verse 5, he says, for you, uh, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who allows their appetites, their senses and sensualities to pull them away to God, everyone who's covetous, everyone who wants what they don't have, they, they, he calls them their idolaters, Worshippers of something other than God. Anyone who does that has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Basically echoing what Jesus is saying here. So it is that you and I need to be on the lookout for anything that could lead us, not just into actual, physical, visible sin, but anything that could lead us in our hearts, in our minds, away from God's best. Anything that would cause us to want what we don't have over wanting him. That's what we need to be vigilant against. Eleanor and I were building a, a garden, a little, it's like a box garden. It's like a, I don't know, hip high garden. It's going to be where she puts all of her weeds. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it'll be, it, no, it'll be, no, it'll be great. It'll be, you know, all the spice beds, whatever they do, right? And so it's really cool. And so we had to build it though. And you've heard my stories about me building things. This one actually went pretty well. Uh, it went pretty well because my bride helped me. We had a great time doing it. Uh, she was kind of holding pieces in place so I could, you know, use the, the screw gun and, and put everything uh, together. Um, but it, we were starting to do this around 7 o'clock at night, and, the, and the, as it grew dim in our backyard, what happens in Florida when the, the skeeters were coming? And we got big, fat ones, you know, like, like hummingbird-sized mosquitoes. So we live by this lake, and so they just, and you can kind of see, you can hear them. You can kind of see them and hear them, and so I'm, you know, I'm doing all the, all the, that's the noise it makes, you know, the screw. And, and, and she would, she, oh, there's one. And, and I'd, I'd, I'd quickly jump up and I'd, I'd look around and sure enough, there it is. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm just like, yeah, come on, buddy. Come on. Just go ahead and land right there. Haka! Right? Does anybody do that? That's the best way to get them. Make them think they're safe, right? You're going to be okay, pal. Yeah, I got a good vein for you right there. Let me go. There you go. Haka! And I was thinking as I was doing that, sorry, I'm having fun. I was thinking as I was doing that, that, that needs to be our mentality with the, th the things that we see that could pull us away from God's best, with the things that we think that could pull us away from God's best, with the places that we are, that we allow ourselves to be in that could pull us away from God's best. We have to have a head on a swivel and be like, oh, no, 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 that's not it. I can't do this. I can't be here. I can't see that. Head on a swivel. Somebody's saying, yeah, okay, Mark, but come on. 
I've actually committed adultery in my head. No one else will know it. It's not like I'm going to suffer the same consequences of if I actually committed it with my body. I can't argue that with you. Certainly one sin, uh, you know, uh, has a different set of consequences. One is unseen. The other is completely visible. Sure, I, I get that. But for those of you who are arguing, you know, heart sin, why, why is that such a big no-no? Let me just kind of give you two things. So first of all, and I hope I've made this point, uh, heart sin is sin. Full stop. In fact, I, I, I see some people nodding. I'm grateful that you agree with me. But I want everybody to say that. And as you're saying that, I want you to believe what you're saying. Everybody say that with me. Heart sin is sin. If I sin on the inside, it's sin. That should be all that we need to know. You can't go around making up what is sin and what isn't sin. There's a whole world doing that. They're, they're calling it my truth. You don't have your truth. There is the truth. God has set it out in his word. And we correspond and we comply to his truth, not the one that we make up. If you don't believe me, next time you get pulled over for speeding, uh, report to the officer who is asking you for your license and registration that, you know what, in my mind, I have changed the speed limits. It's now 90. Therefore, this whole thing, the lights and everything, sir, are completely unnecessary because in my mind, my truth, the speed limit's 90. How do you think that's going to go? You're not just going to get a ticket. You're going to get Baker acted because you're crazy. You can't make up the laws of our land. It's not how it works. And it's not how it works with our God. You can't say to me, but just because I can't see your sin because it's happening on your insides, that it's not sin. That's not how this works, but it's how we do. It's how we roll all the time. Justifying and excusing. and Yeah, heart sin is sin. <laughs> Full stop. But more than that, heart sin is seed. Heart sin is seed. There's never been adultery committed, actual physical adultery, that didn't start here in the dissatisfaction that you have in your relationship with your spouse, in the, in the addiction that you have to pornography, in the, in the, in the secret sins, you know, the, the nurturing seed fields of your inner uh, immorality. That's where the actual sin comes from. It's root and fruit. And if you don't deal with stuff in here, doesn't matter how much you smile at me while I'm preaching, it's going to come out eventually. It's just how this works. You got to get all spiritual roundup on this stuff. You got to kill it at its source. You've got to deal with it when it starts so that it never becomes the actual sin. Heart sin is seed. And we've got to sow some spiritual salt in those fields so that those wrongs that are a part of all of us in our old nature can never see the light of day in the lives that we live. Can I just close with what Jesus says here? He says, listen, man, if you've looked at someone else with lustful eyes, you've already committed adultery with them in your heart. And so then he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, 
Here's what I need you to do. If your right eye causes you to sin, then tear it out whoa, and throw it away. Why? Because it's better that you lose one of your eyeballs than that your whole body be thrown into hell. He goes on, he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your hands than that you lose your whole body as it goes into hell. This is uh, something that we have to make sure we understand. He's, Jesus is not calling for actual self-mutilation. Everybody gets that, right? Leave your eyeballs alone. Don't be cutting off your hands, all right? Everybody with me on that? What he is saying, though, for effect is we need to deal seriously with the sins that no one can see. We need to be vigilant and vicious with anything that starts in here. This is one of his famous illustrations. A couple different times in the Gospels, he would come back to this. In fact, he would say, listen, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Your hand, your eyes, cut it off, pluck it out, whatever. And his point is, hey, man, we got to take this seriously. The spiritual term for it is mortification, the mortification of sin. We need to put to death our sin. In fact, Paul writes about it in Colossians. He says, listen, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, that inside sexual immorality, that inside impurity, those inside passions and sensual desires, that covetousness, which is idolatry, he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So three things. Can I give you three, three things as we close today? Just my encouragement and, and my kind of interpretation of pluck out your eyes and cut off your hands. What, what he's saying here is essentially this. Learn to look away. When it comes to your eyes and the things that this lamp that, that you know, is the entryway to your soul, when it comes to what it sees, learn to look away. Bounce your eyes, fellas. First look, you're cool. Look too long, maybe we're crossing the line. Learn to bounce your eyes. Learn to close the windows on your computer. Learn to move away from the sources of the things that could lead you into unrighteousness. Look away. The second thing I'd tell you is throw away. Throw away the thoughts where these seeds take root, these seeds of sin kind of live in our hearts and in our minds. Throw those thoughts away. Deal viciously with those thoughts creeping up in your head. We talked about this a little bit earlier this year when we talked about being the masters of our mind, getting God or letting God be in control of our thoughts. And we read this passage in 2 Corinthians where it says, we destroy arguments. We come violently against falsehoods and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God. And we seek to take, to take every thought captive. For what? For obedience to who? To Christ. Listen, it starts between the temples. Sure, man, blinders, sometimes this way with your eyes. But then if something does get in, learn to erase that screen. I told you while we were studying this stuff about our minds, get used to doing this. I mean, it's this physical manifestation of what I pray is happening on the inside. I got to get that out. Oh. That is not what my mind was given for me to do. Look away with your eyes. Throw away in your thoughts. And then this last one is just good Bible. Run away. Run away with your whole self. 
Just put distance between you and the things that could tempt you. Right? Everybody remember the story of Joseph? He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He had so many ups and downs in his life. But he's just minding his own business in, the, in, the, in his boss's house. His boss's wife takes a sexual liking to him. There's no ambiguity in that. He's, she wants him. And so she comes up to him one day and says, this is it. We're, we're, this is happening right now. Actually grabs the kid by his coat. And Joseph wriggles free from his cloak and runs naked through the house. Why? Because he would rather the embarrassment and the eventual wrath of his owner, who would you know, be told lies about how he was the one who instigated, he, he would rather that than actually sinning against his God with his body or with his mind. He took off. The writer of uh, Corinthians, Paul, says this. He says, flee from sexual immorality. That's a Greek word that means flee, run, put distance between you and the things that would cause you to sin on the inside. Oh. I, like I said, this is just for everybody. Because you might be sitting here and say, Mark, I don't struggle with sexual sin. Probably a little. But even if it's not your deal, you're probably someone who's envious. You're pro not probably, you are. Someone who's envious of somebody. You're greedy about something. You're an American. We can't help it. It's just what we're taught. More. But God's here to say to us, hey, man, a couple things. I'm enough. Let me be your enough. And then pay attention to what's going on in here because nobody else can see it. But I do. And sin is sin is sin. On the outside, on the inside, it all offends and separates you from me. And I want all of you and you, trust me, you need all of me, God says. But not only that, if we allow sin to just kind of live here, it's eventually coming out. It's going to wreck the lives of those who harbor it. It's just how it works. It's a seed that grows. So now, may God grant us his grace in identifying and putting to death the sins on the inside of us. Amen? Can you stand with me and we'll pray that? God, for your grace, we're thankful. There's probably some people sitting here, or now standing here, <laughs> Uh, who need to pray about something that's going on in their lives. And so uh, I'm going to just pray, God, that you would lead whoever's here who needs not to get in their car and drive home to come up and talk with some of our prayer partners or from, with myself or some of our other pastoral team. And they'd start dealing with the stuff that they've been convinced isn't really a big deal because no one else sees it, but you see it, God. Help them to confess, repent, and remove the stuff that keeps them from you inside. Search us, O oh God. Know our hearts. Examine us and see if there be any wicked way in us, God, and lead us in the way that is everlasting. Lord, that's my prayer for your people, for your church, for every individual in here, young and old. May we be vigilant, head on a swivel, for all the things that could lead us away from you. Help us to look away, help us to throw away, help us to, to run away from the things that could take us from you, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Love you guys. Be careful this week. God bless you as you go.